Hello and welcome to episode 197 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the pod, we unleash our inner Marsh girls in our review of Where the Crawdads Sing, adapted from the best-selling novel by Delia Owens. But first, how are you, Scott? Yeah, I, inner Marsh girls. I, you know, I've, I've really been living my inner Marsh girl life in the uh, the met, the metropolis of New York City. You have been living your inner Marsh girl life up in up in Wisconsin. So closest you, thing I'll come to it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is funny because I actually live in the state where this book takes place. The movie takes place, but yeah, it's it was really funny to um, I I when I was watching this movie, not to get too far ahead because this this is not a material comment about the movie, but I I just couldn't help but think about Outer Banks on Netflix when I was watching this movie. Oh, like I totally the idea did that, too. Yeah, yeah. That as in like in theory, they're supposed to be set in similar locations, although they yeah. look visual because they're shot in completely different places. They look visually completely different. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, Outer Banks is shot in Charleston. It's not even no. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, in North Carolina. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm different time period. I haven't, I haven't lived my inner Marsh girl, Scott, since like, I don't know. Does Williams count as Marsh girl? I don't know. Williams is in the middle of nowhere. Maybe since college. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I somehow I doubt Williamstown qualifies as Marsh, but oh no, um... not not as a Marsh <laughs> specifically, but closer to that vibe than anything I've been in in the last while. Yeah, it did occur to me the thought though that Kaya, which is the main character in this movie, would probably be a pogue if she was born. Like, uh, I mean, know, yeah, 30, Kaya 30 years later all sounds the same to me. Hey, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I, I think you're right, but yeah, Scott, I did. I was on vacation in Wisconsin. Was out on the lake, kind of. I mean, definitely in the middle of nowhere. Um, the town where we always go is like has a population of like sixty people or something. So um, <laughs> it's a hamlet. And here to, t- to top it all off, um, this this um, this property is in my dad's family's name, and specifically his mother's family. And mm-hmm. her last name. Are you ready for this? It's Marsh. It's Marsh. Hell yeah. Uh, so we were at the Marsh Cottage. Is where we were. So I mean, this couldn't have been a more perfect week for me to to see this movie. I guess the only the only better you know wordplay way to have more fun with this is if you watched. Little Women while you were at the Marsh Cabin on a week where we were doing the Marsh Girl movie. And then you Marsh got your, versus you would have, you would have, yeah, exactly. You would have, yeah. you would have been learning about the Marsh Girls in the Marsh House in the week of the Marsh. I think that would have been sensory overload. But you know what I did do, Scott? I read some books, which I um, yeah. don't normally do anymore. Uh, books have been uncanceled for do, Scott Harvey in the last week. Do other things with my time. Yeah, I read four books and three of them I absolutely, absolutely loved. So um, I am looking forward to hopefully continuing to read at least, you know, the the one art uh, author that I read, Taylor Jenkins Reid, I read two of her books and she has a new book that's actually coming out in like a month. So I do plan to read that um, when it does come out, but I don't know whether I'll be able to keep it up or not, but it's always fun to vacation and catch up on, on some books I miss. And, you know, yeah. one of the books that I read was is going to be made into a TV series soon. Um, Day, Daisy Jones and the Six. So I'm I was already excited about the series, um, but I am even more um, after reading the, the book, because I think they did a really good job with at least with, you know, Riley Keough is going to play the lead role. I think she's perfect casting for that. But that will be about, on to talk about beautiful world. Where are you for a second? I was like, I mean, they're yeah. probably making that into a TV show. I don't know. 
I also read that um, Sally Rooney's most recent book. Loved it. And it was kind of like, it was nice to read that because, you know, I just watched Conversations with Friends and I hated it. Um, and I do think that some of the problems probably come from the source material, even though I haven't read it. Um, so, you know, I was kind of in the mode of, was she a one hit wonder, right? Was normal people like, you know, the one thing that she had in her. But no, I mean, that that book is fantastic. It, very beautifully written. Like she clearly has a, you know, real. And you never, you haven't read talent. anything by her before. So you'd never read her prose no. before because it's very different. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, at least in this book, I don't know if she does in others, but like there's no quotation marks, for yes, example. That's, in the that is, that is her, that is her style. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the book was, was beautifully written and, you know, they may, they very well may make it into a TV show. I don't know how successful conversations with the friends was, although, I mean, normal people was pretty successful, I think, but, um, yeah, I don't know that this one would lend itself well to a series as good as the book was just because, you know, there's these emails that I think between the main two just characters. Just long that... voiceover sections, Scott. Don't worry, they'll figure it out. Yeah, I, and I mean, the, the writing in those emails is so good that, like, you're not going to be able to capture that. I mean, this is kind of bleeding into maybe some of the discussion that we're going to have with this movie that we're talking about today is, you know, yeah. sort of the, the disconnect in adapting book to film which is something we talk about often but i think is worth talking about here so why don't we just get into it scott our movie today is where the crawdads sing directed by olivia newman adapted from the mega bestseller by conservationist delia owens where the crawdads sing takes place in the marshes of the north carolina coast where the quote-unquote marsh girl kaya clark played by daisy edgar jones is forced to raise herself from childhood to adulthood after being abandoned by her abusive father played by garrett dillahunt as the film opens, however, Kaya is being arrested by the police in the suspected murder of local heartthrob and ex-high school quarterback Chase Andrews, played by Harris Dickinson. Kindly lawyer Tom Milton, played by David Strathairn, volunteers to defend Kaya, but first he must learn the story of the mysterious Marsh Girl. And the majority of the film takes place in flashbacks where we see Kaya start to make her own money, discover a passion and talent for depicting nature, and fall in love for the first time with a boy named Tate Walker, played by Taylor John Smith, who is a childhood friend of Kaya's brother, Jody. Tate and Kaya's romance flourishes as Tate takes it upon himself to help educate Kaya since she was bullied out of the local school by the other students. But when Tate goes away to college, Chase Andrews enters the picture, and Kaya starts to see a whole different side of the world that she had previously been able to isolate herself from in her marsh cabin. Scott, where the crawdads sing captured readers everywhere with its blend of coming of age, romance, and murder mystery in a secluded North Carolina town. But does Olivia Newman spin a page turner of a film from the engrossing yarn given her by Owens? Uh, I I'm gonna I know I'm I'm very long winded sometimes with my answer to your questions, so I'll make this one short and sweet. No, she does not. Unfortunately, I, I, you were talking about all the different sort of like sub genres or like vibes that that is pulled together in the in the book to make this sort of really you know this page turner this really cohesive story that you know for one reason or another became you know i think one of the best-selling books of all time in the u.s i think um i was actually looking at stats on that before we went live but i think in 2018 when this when this book came out it became like one of the highest selling books ever at the time um and it you just don't get that in this movie this I just felt like watching this movie, the, it had no idea what it actually wanted to be. Like, did it want to be a murder mystery? Did it want to be a courtroom drama? Did it want to be a coming of age story? 
And I don't think it was successfully able to do any of those things. Yeah, I, I just ultimately, I, I was really, I think, disappointed. I haven't read the book. I know you have. And so I think you're going to get into some of those comparisons that you're maybe alluding to just a few minutes ago. But I, I, I was pretty sorely disappointed, I think, with the pacing of the film, with the writing. Um, Olivia Newman, who was the director, she did not write the screenplay. A woman named Lucy Alibar wrote the wrote the screenplay for this. And, and I think it's really bad. I think the screenplay is like one of the weakest parts um, of the movie. And just overall, as much as I think the production design was okay, was was probably one of the more effective parts. Just the the in the disparate parts of this just don't come together, I think, to tell a very engrossing story. And the film ultimately, you know, goes into it, it's you know, inevitable third act twist that you'd expect in any sort of murder mystery. And and I was just kind of kind of simultaneously both like dumbfounded by the twist, but also was like that there was no other way that the film could have gone, but like not in, not in a good way, not in a way like, Oh, this, this is a story that makes cohesive sense. It's just like, yeah, like this is the least confusing outcome, but also it doesn't even really feel like the story cares that much about the outcome. And I just ultimately felt that I was a bit lost um, somewhere along the way. And I don't even think, you know, Daisy Edgar Jones, who we were just talking about normal people, you know, just a few moments ago, She's not as good in this as she was in normal people. I don't think that's all entirely her fault. Um, but I also just like don't believe her as this as this as this marsh girl. Like just Daisy Edgar Jones. She's not a marsh girl. Like, what is it? What are we talking about here? Um, she doesn't look the part, in my opinion. Um, and her sort of like social awkwardness and isolation, as believable as as it was, because she was socially awkward for parts of normal people and, and isolated in this sort of rural Irish town. Um, I don't believe. I don't believe this character um, and her in this role. I think it's I think it's pretty bad casting all around. Ironically, I think Harris Dickinson's probably the best casting in the movie and might be the worst actor in it, which is which is pretty funny, I think. Um, but, you know, say la vie sometimes. I, I was pretty disappointed with this on the whole. Garrett Dillahunt being cast as an abusive father is is spot on casting as well. But they just oh, gave yeah. him absolutely nothing in this movie, which is a yeah, shame. I mean, he's gone after he's 15 minutes. So character. Actor, That's why. Yeah, I mean, so I did read the book, Scott, and I liked it. Um, it was not my favorite book or anything. Like, you know, I just mentioned, for example, that I read three books that I really, really liked over um, vacation. Mm. I would put all of those ahead of where the crawdads sing, like, pretty comfortably. Um, but I got why it was a bestseller. I think, for me, the draw of the book was the sense of place which is what you would expect because Delia Owens, you know, as we mentioned, is a con- conservationist. Like, yeah, she's a naturalist. She spent yeah. her li- yeah, she spent her life like in Zambia, you know. Yeah, d- depicting nature, talking about nature. And only at age 70 or something did she even write this book. Like she'd never written a novel before this and she's, you know, she's 72 or 73 years old now. Um but anyway, um so that that was kind of the the strongest part of the book to me was you know the the way she was able to bring the marsh to life and just felt like a really unique setting or at least you know sort of evoked like mark twain like that sort of vibes and make it more than just a place right the movie opens with this quote about how it's you know the marsh is kind of more of a place it's something that like lives in you and, and everything and i don't feel like the movie really captured 
that in the way the book did. Like the book, again, the strong parts of the book is like the relationship between Kaya and the the environment, right? Like the um, way that she becomes part of the marsh in a way and the marsh becomes part of her. Like that sort of symbiotic relationship, I think is really beautifully crafted in the book by Delia Owens didn't come across in the film. And that's because I think the film necessarily has to focus on the more cinematic parts of the book, right? Which are the murder trial and the boyfriend drama, right? That is going on first with her and Tate and then later with her and Chase Andrews. And that's just not the most interesting parts of the story for me. And again, you can't really capture the writing, like the, the prose, at least, you know, in the way that she depicts the marsh and, you know, again, writes about Kaya's relationship to it in the movie. I mean, they try to do like a voiceover at some point, but it's very sparse throughout the entire movie. Like, I don't even really know what the point was, except maybe to just kind of say, oh, by the way, you know, we're still here in the jail cell. Like Kaya is still telling, you know, her story to to Tom Milton. To it doesn't really work, though. It doesn't work at all. No. Um, and I think so. I think the movie. I think that, you know, in a way, in hindsight, I almost feel like the movie was destined to be unsuccessful because I think, you know, again, the murder trial, the boyfriend stuff, like it's all sort of cliche. Um, what makes the the story unique, I think, is the place in which it is set and the character of Kaya. I would disagree. I do think Daisy Edgar Jones gives a really good performance. I, I hear what you're saying, and I did have some reservations about her being cast i will say that i think physically her um the description the description of kaya in the novel does actually match up with her somewhat um pretty closely physically irish so, is that is how they described her in the, in the novel well irish isn't a physical um characteristic but um, you say that <laughs> <laughs> but uh no i mean i didn't think her accent was bad or anything i did to, to be uh, fair also sorry before i get roasted i don't think daisy edgar jones is actually irish so i should i should backtrack that a little bit she's yeah she's english but, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> she uh i mean i didn't think her accent was bad in the movie but i don't know no, i fine. think we'll, we'll talk about her performance in a little more detail but i think i think she's able to overcome like you know, again, you think about it in concept, and I, I'm I'm with you, like, that Daisy Edgar Jones, like, sorry, she's one of the most, like, beautiful women in the world to me, but they want us to believe that she's, like, you know, this sort of hermit who, like, is out in the middle of the, you know, woods raising herself, not wearing any shoes, like, wearing overalls all the time and all this stuff. Like, you know, it, when you just hear that, you don't buy it. But again, I think it actually translates from the page to the screen fairly well maybe the character as it's written isn't believable in that regard at least from a physical standpoint but also i think she has some natural gifts as an actor that complement the character really well that we can talk about but i thought that was the strongest part of the movie to me that was the part of the movie that felt the most the only part really that felt lived in right um you know the marsh looks really beautiful but it never comes alive um and that's really what i wanted because i think the other elements of the story in order for them to overcome their cliche nature, need that sort of context around them. And without that sort of context, what you have is a pretty like, you know, standard boilerplate airport, airport novel like plot um, with, you know, these this boyfriend drama again. Um, and 
the murder trial, which, you know, I try not to be new. We can talk about the courtroom scenes a little bit later on as well. But I try not to be new, too nitpicky about courtroom scenes. I didn't think they were terrible, but there were some things that just like, you know, are kind of eye rolly. Um, so, yeah, it's an unsuccessful film. Unfortunately, I feel like the performance was the strongest part of it to me. Um, you know, there are some some story beats that are that are okay some you know some nice moments particularly i think in the flashback sequences but there's so much that is missing from those flashback sequences again because they have to prioritize this other stuff for the sake of making a you know cinematic experience like her backstory her relationship with her family is incredibly important to the novel like there's so much of the beginning of the novel is about that and her relationship to her brother which is basically non-existence in the non-existent in the movie as we mentioned, the father, Garrett Dillahunt, there's a lot more with him. And her mother, who is clearly supposed to be sort of this presence overarching the entire movie. You never get that uh, a sense of that because she just never registers at all as a character. And again, in the novel, she's much more of a character. So I feel like these very important elements went by the wayside um, for the sake of making something that is a more conventionally enjoyable i guess movie and you know it's it's no surprise in that the movie comes off as pretty mediocre in my opinion i don't think it's terrible i don't think it's a mess or anything um i just think that people who read the novel are going to be like yeah no thanks we didn't really need this yeah i, I mean was it jumping is that is that the guy's mm -hmm. name like that those him and his wife mabel i mean they come mm -hmm. off as more of her of a more meaningful relationship than her family and they, they are yeah they are in the book because they become her family in a way but again you you need you still need more of that context around it i'm not saying that the movie should have been longer i'm just saying like that <laughs> maybe this is why so many yeah. books nowadays are being adapted into miniseries rather than films and um, all i'm saying scott is that this is why denny villeneuve is a king he adapted dune he did well dune part one well i guess he you know that that was was that the whole novel or just no. part, yeah the first half of the novel right well um, a little bit more than half but yeah. yeah 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 but yeah no i'm not gonna argue with you there i i do think you know this movie also would have certainly benefited by having better denny, denny villeneuve um, the director. better people behind the camera well not denny villeneuve necessarily but but better you know people olivia newman it's i think that we were speaking the other day scott and i said it was her first film it's actually not she did make a film for netflix before this um that i really wasn't familiar with but first match um, yeah i mean you yeah. know her as a director, well, that's right yeah it was a basketball this movie is right? pretty anonymously directed like um you get the sense that you know this is hello uh, hello sunshine productions is reese witherspoon who obviously has her hand in a lot of book to film stuff um you get yeah. the sense that like you know she's maybe she's kind of pulling the strings here a little bit and they just wanted to make sort of the most inoffensive version of this that they possibly could i mean the um, crazy thing is like i don't know has reese witherspoon directed anything why didn't reese witherspoon just direct the movie that have been fun and probably would also be yeah, i don't bad, know maybe but... she doesn't feel comfortable with directing or something but um... well i don't get the sense that olivia newman feels comfortable directing either but that's neither here nor there oof but yeah harsh but fair probably um but yeah, Scott, I think we can move on probably now. Um, you know, you talked about Daisy Edgar Jones. Obviously, we're big fans of her from Normal People. Um, you oh, yeah. know, she's also popped up in some other stuff, like she was in Fresh earlier this year, um, and Under the Banner of Heaven, the Hulu series with Andrew Garfield, which I watched and I thought she was quite good in that. Um, 
this is, you know, probably her big, her big opportunity to sort of seize movie stardom, maybe because, you know, normal people, again, as much as we liked it, as much as it probably was successful for a streaming miniseries, um, I don't think she's a household name, certainly at this point. This is her chance to kind of, you know, make herself one. Do you think she succeeds? You know, you've alluded to it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it's not an anonymous performance, um, to be fair. Like, I do think this will be a movie that, you know, if you see, you're going to you're going to remember this role, because I think most of the most of the good things about this movie do sort of rest on her shoulder. I think I do agree with you on that. I, I just for me, ultimately, because my anchor point is normal people. Um, it's like it's not even that. I mean, I did say this earlier and, I, and I'm not backing down from this. I don't think that. For me, she made a lot of sense in this role as a casting. But at the same time, just as a broader generalization, if your anchor point is like normal people and being one of the leads in that in that show where you gave, you know, probably what could arguably end up being probably the best performance of her career. You know, we don't know what she's going to do for the next 30, 40 years or whatever, but that could be her best performance that she ever gives just because it is that good. It's not a statement of like anything she does moving forward. It is just Mm -hmm. that good of a role. It's pretty hard to live up to that. And I think. I, you know, I, I kind of hear what you're saying around she has some sort of, you know, natural gifts that may lend itself to to the role. So I, I do hear where you're coming from from that. But I just think ultimately I was a bit disappointed. I don't think it's all her fault. Um, I think I said that earlier on as well. I do think that she's she's let down by some pretty weak, you know, material for the for the film itself. But ultimately, I don't know that she was really super able to leave um, an effective mark. But that, again might rest more on the movie as a whole as, as being ultimately pretty forgettable um, more so than it does on her performance. I just think that, you know, at, you know, when, you know, when we're 10 years from now, I don't think she's going to be wanting to remember this performance. Um, hopefully as much, as much as others. I haven't seen fresh yet. I plan on watching it. It is on Hulu. Um, but I'd imagine that's something that, that even if it's, I, I mean, I think it was, it received mixed reviews. Yeah. Yeah. As I, a mean, whole. I, I thought it was just okay. Personally. But I think that it's a more it, yeah. it's a more interesting and more probably more memorable movie than this ultimately. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so even if it is a, a bit of a it's still a mixed reviews type, it's not just that the movie, um, you know, didn't receive you know a hundred percent Rotten Tomato score or whatever. It's just about kind of picking out those performances where you can make more of a mark. And unfortunately, I think although she, it, the potential for making a mark in this movie might have been large, I just think that the movie itself, um, you know, didn't de- didn't didn't deliver in, in her ability to have a more effective mark. Although the movie is doing decently well at the box office this weekend, probably because of the bestseller nature of, of the, movie, yeah, certainly of the book. Um, I mean, you know, my mom wants to go see it and she doesn't. Really yeah. My mom wants to go see it. She movies. read it in a book group uh, a few years ago. So. That yeah. I mean, again, from first talking about like sort of the physical aspects of the character, you know, she's supposed to be sort of this dark-haired beauty and whatnot from the from the novel, which Daisy Edgar Jones is. I will say that, like, you know, maybe the one area where they get it wrong is, like, you know, again, the way that the movie shot, like, it's it's all very beautiful. It's all very glowed up and everything. And there are just these, like, shots of her, you know, and, like, the sunshine-kissed marsh and everything. And it's, like, I don't believe she spent, you know, a, a day out here, you know, catching mussels or whatever we think that she's you know spent her day doing you know traipsing through the the marsh and because that, that's know. the thing right the, the the kid version i think that like when she, the young version of kaya like that is a believable 
a more believable representation of the yeah, character. Yeah, she was good. The child mind. actor was good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah forget the needed... forget the acting, just like the physical representation of the character. But I just felt like Daisy Edgar Jones signed some contract where said that you're not going to make me look like dog shit on the screen. Um, <laughs> and so they just like glowed her up. Like <laughs> she's like yeah, 16. And, and I try like you know it's not freaking uh, that article that came out after the Queen's Gambit came out or whatever it was like Anya Taylor Anya Taylor Joy was too hot to play you know yeah, yeah, chess yeah. champion Beth yeah, Harman, yeah 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 Beth Harmon or whatever and um I, w- I was sitting there thinking about that a little bit but I, again I don't think the problem is like that she's too beautiful it's that the problem that the, is that they're not willing to like dirty her up a little bit exactly um, yeah. which would have made it more believable but again I don't put that against her I mean that's also like to, to, to your point just just for one second because I think it's a really a really good one like the actual setting itself is meant to be shot super beautifully which i think makes sense some of the time but sometimes like that place needs to look dirty like like the environment yeah. needs to look not very hospitable sometimes especially when you think about where the story goes in the end and what you know sort of the leap they yeah. want us to make in the end about predators living in the marsh and what yeah there's yeah, rape there's murder like this this like yeah. there's there's domestic violence like this movie has so much stuff but it's like it's constantly shot on some like sort of like you know lens flare filter almost like it's it's really it's really kind of weird in that sense. And again, again, why the, there should have been more dad stuff in the movie because Not you don't really anything. get yeah you don't you don't really get enough of like the oh this is cyclical sort of thing which obviously they want you to um, yeah to you, lock you get like two her. scenes with Garrett Dillahunt where he like batters his wife and his kids and then you know burns he abandons her yeah then Tate abandons her then Chase you know in his own way abandons her um well it, it's a we, cyclical sort of we'll put chase on the shelf come back to him <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah. you know to the good parts of the performance and again i don't think that that what we were talking about has anything to do with the performance really but um but i think she has like and you mentioned it you know uh, the awkwardness like the innocence and whatnot like i think she has like a very natural seeming innocence about her as a performer that lends itself really well to this character it's not forced right like i think it could it would have been easy to just be like oh shucks you know i'm the marsh girl i don't know anything about anybody um and it doesn't come off in that way at all um i think you know it it, it all feels very authentic the way that she is sort of you know oblivious about certain realities in the world because of the situation that she's had to bring herself up in the other thing i think she does really well is um suppressing her emotions until like a pivotal 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 moment and then when she actually has to express them expressing them in a very sort of believably restrained sort of way for this character um like maybe my favorite moment i guess i'll go ahead and spoil it is when she when they when she and tate are reading her her family bible and in the front they have like her family tree and whatnot and he is teaching her to read and she has never read you know this before she's never known what it says and she's reading through all of her family members um and reading their birthdays and everything and then she gets down to her family and you know she says that's my parents or whatever she reads like her siblings and of course she's you know she's been left she's been abandoned she's all by herself in this cabin now and she, she, the way that she sort of breaks as she's like reading towards the end of um, the passage there in the, in the front of the Bible and then just says like, you know, I miss them a lot or something like that. It was a really sort of moving moment. I thought she played that moment perfectly. Um, and there are some other, I think, moments like that in the movie. Again, I think, you know, 
she she definitely is not an over the top performer, which I appreciate. I think she, um, you know, can, can be very restrained, which this character I think needs to be because she's very you know cautious and unsure about the world around her. So I think in theory there are things about her casting which maybe don't make sense but in practice it works out pretty well with the one exception of like the way that they shoot her coming off as a little inauthentic but i think everything else about the performance is really authentic and you know i'm glad that the movie is successful for her sake not because i think it's a great movie obviously but because you know again this was i think her biggest opportunity yet um and i do want her to be you know, a big name actress. Uh, you know, I want her to have what Amy Taylor Joy has, you know, to mention somebody that we just mentioned. Um, I think she has the capability and she has some different sort of gifts, like I was talking about there, that I think distinguish her from some other actresses in her same sort of generation. Um, but, you know, again, I don't think this is going to go down as one of her, you know, landmark roles. At the end of the day, hopefully she will get a lot more of those roles is what I'm saying. Yeah, I hope so, too. I mean, I, I don't hold any ill will towards her for this movie. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I just don't I just don't know if it affected me the same way that it, it affected you. But I'm not sitting here saying that I can come up with a better casting right off the top of my head either. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it would have been someone it would have probably you know somebody unknown maybe would yeah have been i mean that's the direction option. that i would have, i would say it's like you just kind of gotta get an unknown to do it but no actually scott i was gonna say annie taylor joy that's actually what i was gonna say <laughs> okay you know she you say that but she has like a sort of shut up <laughs> quality <laughs> about her where she you could see her as being like the marshmallow anyway we, we won't go down that road scott i was um, doing a bit i wasn't being supporting serious. cast scott supporting cast there's a few notable names here you know we mentioned harris dickinson who you know he was in the king's man earlier this year um he's been in a few other oh, things he was cool um i think he was the lead was he not um he was yeah i think so yeah uh, he plays Chase Andrews, Taylor John Smith, who I'd never seen in anything. He was Tate. And then he's in know, Triangle have, of like, Sadness. Did you know that? Yeah, I did know that actually. Um, yeah. You have some character actors in there, you know, like I mentioned, Garrett Dillahunt and um, and David Strathairn, obviously, who plays her attorney. Anyone stand out to you here, Scott? Um, not Harris Dickinson, sorry. Um, I don't know if I said this on the podcast yet, but yeah, I did not think highly of his performance. Uh, I mean, David Strathairn, Williams College alum, uh, always representing. So he's doing the good work out there in Hollywood, continuing to represent my alma mater. Uh, I thought he was good. I mean, like the safest role, probably. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a thankless role, really. It, it <laughs> honestly is because he just has to lean into so many cliches with this character. And he's I mean, he's a wonderful actor, honestly. I, I love seeing him in everything. Um, so I wasn't unhappy to see him play this role. But yeah, it's a very down the middle. Like he doesn't get to do anything interesting really with the character, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's another role that I'd that I'd point towards and towards being interesting in this movie. I think it probably would be Sterling Macer Jr. Or, or I don't know how to pronounce her name, but is it, is it just Michael Hyatt who plays his, plays his wife? Yeah, um, jumping in Mabel. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping in Mabel. Um, Charlene goes by Michael. I don't, I don't fully understand that, but Charlene Hyatt. Um, I, I would probably point towards them. Cause I think that they're, they're the other parts of the movie that I really feel like have heart and soul in it that is able to sort of captivate 
I thought one of the things that the movie should have probably striven more for. I mean, this this goes back to a, like a broader conversation, and this is and just to explain why I was more oriented towards their performances. It's just that I I think that, and as I mentioned at the beginning, like they, the film just didn't know what it wanted to be. I mean, so many reviews of this film have called it like just tonally incoherent, and and I think when you watch this movie, you really do get that. It's like there are certain times where it wants to be a coming of age story. Then it like just pivots hard into a murder mystery, but isn't really ever, ever able to really fuse those things together. Um, and I think that's, that's where the the film stumbles. Um, it's a really flat murder mystery. It is a really ineffective courtroom drama. Um, and I think that the film should have just tried even harder. And it sounds like this is what you're saying. The book is, is better at is just being this sort of coming of age family, family type drama. Um, and I think you see yeah, sparks yeah. of that in these characters of Mabel and Jumpin'. And so those are the performances that I'd, I'd shift more towards. Yeah, structurally speaking, if I'm remembering correctly, because it has been a couple of years since I read it, you know, they do flash back and forth, but it's flashing back before and forth mainly between the investigation. Yeah. And I think that's right. The, the you know, her backstory. And the investigation is like very short, like two, three page passages so it doesn't really pull you out of it i don't feel like and then once we catch up to the chase stuff or whatever and you know only then when she gets arrested like we just go chronologically through the murder trial and everything at that point through the end of the novel so which i think would have worked better because like you said it weirdly when you go to the murder trial right which is supposed to be the most cinematic part like it's like it feels like it, it takes you out of things it's not like, climactic at all yeah you want to yeah. go back to them um so i did like so i did like my, Michael Hyatt and Sterling Maester Jr. Taylor John Smith is is fine but forgettable as Tate. Um, and I and I like I said I think Harris Dickinson's pretty bad in this, but um, not covering himself in glory. I hope he was yeah, better in, first, in the first in the King's Man. As far as jumping in Mabel, yeah, I mean I do like the performances. They're good characters, heartfelt characters. You know, spoiler alert, I guess at the end of the movie when it flashes forward a lot and we learn that Jumpin' has passed away. I mean, you know, you do feel a twinge of something there because I think they did a decent oh, job yeah. with characters. Yeah. I, I, I do sure. think that the movie could have, and some people have criticized Delia Owens for this in the novel. Yeah. Could have engaged with their race a little bit more yeah. because, yeah. Um, you know, when you think about, especially when the story is taking place, right, around like the civil rights movement, you know, yeah. segregation and everything is still going on. They're in the South, right? They're in they're in a place where, you know, black people would not have been viewed favorably, um, most likely. We don't really get a, any sense of that at all. And I think they could have used that. I'm not just saying like, you know, you know, this is not me saying like they should have had 9-11 and turning red, for example, which, yeah. which was a thing that people were saying. But you know you could thematically you can use that right why do they feel a connection with kaya well because well, they're all outsiders yes, right like 100 i was thinking that too i was and this is actually speaking to the exact point i didn't i didn't dive into it's like one of the things missing from like sort of the the coming of age portion is like really wrestling with like what it means to be an outsider like oh my god like david mm -hmm. straithan's character talks all about how she's an outsider but like never really explores that that with her and there's this we get like, like obvious, one scene of her at the school yeah yeah there's this obvious connective tissue between what she's experiencing at least to me it was super obvious and like what the and why people like jumping and mabel take her in it's not because they feel they feel bad i mean it is because they feel bad for her but it's because they have this shared experience of like being ostracized from their society and that's like super subtextual in the way they shoot the movie when i feel like it could have been you know one of the linchpins of the film and like, you know, she she when she's young, when she's a child, she comes in 
and like has the muscles or whatever. And it, it becomes very clear that she is by herself out there or whatnot. And because I don't think they do a good, good enough job with that stuff that we're talking about, it's like, well, wait a minute, if you want to help her, I feel like the best situation for her would to be, would be for her to be in social services or something like that. Right. Uh, where she could find a family that like, you know, would in theory care about her. Um, but you know, again, if you had done that better, it would have been more clear that, Hey, they don't trust they the realize, system. Yeah, exactly. The world out there is, is not friendly to them and it's not going to be friendly to her. Yep. Um, so I don't know. So, so, so even though those performances are good, the characters are, you know, come across as heartfelt. Yeah. There are some issues there and they were probably, you know, I don't remember this part of the novel specifically. They were probably present in the novel again, because there are those critiques there about, um, Delia Ellis. I mean, I don't think it's like, you know, egregious or that she's racist or anything like that. I think that like, I'm sure there are people out there who have taken it too far. Um, it's, but it, it's like a lazy portrayal, probably. Though. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. it's you know, it's a stereotypical portrayal of these for sure types of you know selfless characters who you know we don't really get any sense of who they are as people. They're just kind of there to help Kai out in a way. Um, anyway, uh, so, so you know the rest of the movie, Scott. We've talked about sort of the. I guess we should talk about before we you know sign off the mystery plot the courtroom drama all of that um sure. you know the pot boiler element of this which is that chase has died um we don't really know if it was even a murder um to begin with because you know he's found below this grate right he could have been pushed he could have fallen um and we have this trial kaya gets put on on trial there were a few pieces of evidence linking her to it um you know the shell necklace for example um, the red, red threads from the cap, that's actually Tate's cap. Um, and, uh, you know, just a, a few things like that. And obviously the, the nature of them having a past romantic relationship. But then there's the fact, right, she goes off to Greenville to meet this publisher um, around the same time that the murder is supposed to have taken place. Um, she's seen getting on the bus. They call the publisher, one of the publishers to the stand, say, oh, yeah, she had dinner with us the night before this happened or whatever. And... Straight Heron basically ends up making a pretty good case that, you know, what we're talking about here is a very narrow window in which she would have had to do what they say she did. And nobody, we, there are no, there are no witnesses to say that she did this and no evidence that links her to it. Um, and she's found not guilty, but she's guilty, Scott. We learn in the final moments of the movie that, yep, she actually did kill Chase um, to sort of protect herself and protect the marsh. What do you think about the way all of this goes down? Quite poor, Scott. I think it's pretty poor how it, go <laughs> how it goes down. Um, I, I've had, I have so many thoughts about this, honestly. Um, and I don't even know, like both, I have so many thoughts, both directions, not, not in terms of good, bad, but like why the, the story had to be this way, but also why it makes no sense this, that this is the case. It's like, at the end of the day, there's nothing in the film that would suggest that like Tate is going, who is the only other person feasible, like reasonably who would have probably killed chase would have done it. Like, yes, he's like, you know, he's, he's very protective of her, but like not in a violent way. There's also literally nothing to suggest that Kai would do this either. Like she, she's never shown as a violent person. She's never shown as someone who is like, who holds like grudges 
um, or as like manipulative or um, sort of like sinister in any way. And also, like, it makes no sense why the why this jury acquit like acquitted her. Like, I know it's like a very narrow sense of time, but like, honestly, I think I think that like there's. Well, I don't I don't agree with you there. The, for um, the story, this town like a hundred percent should should have convicted a hundred percent. No, I don't agree with that. I there's, mean, there was no there was not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> we can have a legal argument here or whatever about. But we're not uh, we're not talking you know, about proof beyond a reasonable doubt, Scott. I'm just saying we what are, it what it makes sense for a story. Oh come on, Scott! It's a it's a freaking book, man. It's a story. But but I mean but they I mean okay fine but sure but that doesn't mean you could just like throw the standard of proof out of the window I guess when you're trying to you know of course you can when you're writing a book. I I just think so you're you're saying for narrative purposes it would have been better to for if she had been convicted. I think so. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think narratively it makes way more sense for this town to have convicted her. I don't think it makes any sense for them to have acquitted her. And it also we makes no sense that she actually would have done it. It makes no sense to me that she actually would have done it either. We don't get a good sense of the town at all, really, I don't think. So, I mean, you know, it's just what other people are saying. Like, oh, you know, she's been ostracized in her whole life as the Marsh girl, blah, blah, blah. So I don't think they did a good job with that. Yeah, um, that's fair. Which maybe hurts the, the jury verdict. I mean, I think based on, yeah, you know, to, to your point, maybe, like, based on the evidence presented, right, she is, should obviously be found not guilty. Um, but, like, To Kill a Mockingbird, for example, maybe one of the fam most famous uh, the most famous novel in this genre um you know the evidences couldn't be more clear and you know tom robinson still ends up getting convicted um so maybe you know for narrative purposes it would have made more sense to convict her um but I just you don't, know. yeah i just don't understand like the town is being redeemed but she's actually this this sinister murderer this whole time like i i understand yeah. that like there's obviously complexities to it because chase andrews attempted to rape her if not once if not multiple times um, totally, totally get that. It's just like, it doesn't, it isn't clear to me why from the film, and maybe it's more clear in the novel because there's maybe more character development there, but like, she doesn't seem like a scheming, plotting person. She doesn't seem like a violent person at like her whole life. She's just running away. She's never fighting back against anyone. Um, and, and it's a complete disconnect from, from the end of the movie. Well, she does fight back against Chase. We should say the first time he tries to, um, take advantage of her um yeah yeah i mean i throw, get a little throwing bit rocks at tate you know when he comes to the house but i'm not gonna i'm oh, not silly, gonna say yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. not gonna say that um they did a great job again i think this goes to the central problem going back to what i said at the beginning there needs to be that more more of a relationship between her and the marsh which is not there in the the movie yeah. because that's why she does what she does um it's because she is the marsh, the marsh is her. And there's no way that she can continue to exist yeah. in the marsh if Chase is also there, right? And so it's like that's like some big allegory of like, you know, like, I don't know, not, like erosion of nature by, by, <laughs> yeah. is that what it is though, Scott? It's like that kind of what it is? Like she's protecting I mean, I, I do think that's part of it. Again, when you consider Delia yeah. Owens' background, yeah. I think, you know, that there's so much that she's trying to say probably about the natural world in this marsh as well um but yeah. that you don't get a sense of that so yeah it, it comes out of nowhere and another thing where i think they did probably a, not a, as good of a job with the character is like i she is supposed to be a little wilder uh in the book yeah. than she is she's she, you know she she's still has to have tame that in innocence the, in which she does have 
in the movie. But like, she's also just very sort of sweet natured, it seems. Um, and so that is a little different from the book. And again, something that I think would have sold the, the reveal a little bit better that um, she actually was the killer. But, um, need, to, need to get Kaya in with uh, Kelly Reichert, get some like eco, some like natural, I don't know, eco terrorism or something like that. Wasn't it like Night Moves or whatever that Kelly Reichert did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, good movie. Definitely check it out. Um, First Reformed, also another good movie about nature, the climate change. I we're talking about Kelly Reichert movies. And I was like, First Reformed. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, it just it falls flat, and like it could have been good, right? Like there's a there's a scenario where. It works. I, I think it it works in the book because they do a better job of all the things I've been talking about. But it just falls flat. It just feels like a sort of tacked on twist there at the end. Um, yeah. I don't like that they just flash forward all the way, you know, to the end of their lives. I think that that happens really abruptly in the book and also in the movie. Um, yeah, on, honestly, Scott, I just assumed that Chase was the sure, or sure. sorry, not Chase. Tate was the one who had killed, um, Chase, and I think that I would have. I think the movie the movie would have been better if they had just left it with that assumption. Yeah. Um, right. I, I don't even think they needed to give us the resolution there. Exactly. I'm saying like. It would have under underscored that the film was less about this murder and more about this like emotional or coming of age journey or whatever. Or maybe, you know, maybe she goes home and, you know, as Tate is coming over, right, at, you know, the moment where they're going to, you know, yeah. um, reunite and they're going to fall in love or whatever. Maybe we see her like when Tate is coming in, she takes the shell necklace or whatever and goes and puts it in her book. And then closes it up and then goes to meet Tate. And it's like, okay, mm. now we know. And but I'm leaving this behind. And I'm now with the person I'm supposed to be with. And that's how it ends. That would have been more satisfying, I think, than what we ended up getting. Is um, that that different than what we got? I mean, I don't know. Just the flash forward stuff is really weird. It's like all of a sudden, you know, they're wearing old age makeup, but then they're different actors. They're like much yeah. older actors. It's it, it just it's weird the the way that the whole thing goes down I, I think it would have been a little subtler if they had done it that way that i was saying but um but anyway um what could have been scott uh i just don't think i just don't know if they were ever going to make a satisfying movie of this in, in retrospect um i think this was probably reese witherspoon being like oh everybody read this book i love this book you know the oprah book club of the month or whatever let's make a movie out of it um and we need to think these things through a little bit more um, let's, uh, move into the wrap up, Scott, favorite scene or moment from the movie. Yeah, Scott, I'm, I'm going with a goof. I'm going with a bit of a goof from my favorite scene or moment an, an ironically funny scene. Um, there's a scene, I guess, right after Tate gets back from college where he moves back. And at this point, Chase is with Kaya and, <laughs> and I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm just laughing, thinking about this scene and he's like talking about her to his friends in a not super respectful way. And Tate tells him to stop. And just the, the ensuing front up that happens is just <laughs> one of the more ironically hilarious things that I think I've seen on a screen this year. 
like just embarrassing level goofiness of of Chase like fronting up to to uh to Tate and then jump and having to like push them off of each other. It was very silly. So that was your favorite moment? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It was hilarious. I was I was cackling. Okay. Um yeah. Uh I mentioned okay, you gotta say you were like... you were you were laughing during that. That was hilarious. Come on. It didn't register for me honestly as it did for I mean I don't think it was good. Um oh, but I didn't, yeah, say, I I didn't say it was good. No, I, I know I know you weren't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm saying I don't fall as far in your camp as you do. No, but at the same sure, time, sure. I don't think it was good. It was just like, you know, a moment that came and went in the movie. Um, yeah, I, I think I've um, kind of said my piece about my favorite moment. There's a few others. I wish I could think of, you know, some other moments that she has. But there are some where, you know, the way she delivers certain lines where the emotion sort of comes to the surface. I think she does that very Believably, Daisy Edgar Jones, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, there's not a whole lot to recommend here, unfortunately. Let's put a score on it. Out of 10, what do you give this movie? 4.9. Yeah, 4.7. Um, go read the book instead. It's much better. Um, all right, Scott. Uh, we will take a short break. When we come back, we do have some news to get to in the world of TV. Uh, as We'll be going over the nominations for this year's Primetime Emmys. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, you know, in 2022, we've still been spending a lot of our time on this podcast talking about movies. I don't know why we did that or doing that because, uh, you know, the year of cinema is over and this is obviously the year of TV. Um, Right on. I I say that, although I think it's fair to say that Tom Cruise has has officially revived cinema now with Top Gun Maverick, you know, breaking all the box office records and everything. and so that's exciting. But, Scott, we do have some awards talks to talk about in the world of TV. You know, we don't really talk about TV too much on here, but we do watch TV, um, you more than I do. But I have been trying to get back into it this year. I've burned through Yeah, you've been shows. doing a pretty good job. Yeah, um, I'm close to finishing The Staircase. Um, but in terms of the shows that got nominated here, Scott, I feel a little bit at sea because I haven't watched a lot of them. Um, so I do want to kind of throw it to you first, because I know you're more experienced with um, some of these shows that got nominated. Um, but, you know, the big, um, big winners, obviously, from the nominations, at least Succession um, had the most nominations with, I think, 25. Um, it was the big winner last year in the drama series category. Um, as far as, uh, you know, comedy series goes. Um, you know, you watch Barry, for example, Hacks, I think you've watched, um, Ted Lasso, you know, the, the big names that you would expect, um, are there. I haven't and... seen the new season. I'm sorry. I just started watching the new season of Hacks. Cause that's the, okay. the season one was at last year's Emmy. So the, I think the nominations for Hacks are for season two. Yeah. So Scott, why don't you talk about the drama and, um, comedy categories, and then we can sort of talk about the limited series where I think I have more input probably because i've watched 
a few limited series. But um, what are your thoughts on, you know, the big winners here, um, the shows that got a lot of nominations, any snubs that you see, anything that you're happy to see getting in there? Yeah, I mean, look, the big winners, if we're just talking about TV shows, not lim limited series, there's just fewer categories, I think, to to get nominated in. I could be wrong about that, but I think there's just fewer categories for limited series. But like Succession, like Succession is one of the best shows on television and it got the most nominations. Um, it's probably weird to have gotten that many nominations, but I don't know. Like I had this whole side chat, I feel like with you or I can't, I think it was with you where I was just like, there's just, there's just too many nominations. Like, like these are the best shows for the most part. And we'll get into snubs in a second, but like, there's just like too many categories. They have to nominate the same show 20 times for like these categories because they are the best shows. It's like probably not even that it's wrong. It's just like it feels weird to say that like there are three actors nominated for succession and supporting actor in a drama series. Like like they pro like it's probably right. But like, why do we have that? Like, why does that ex like we need to like coalesce probably around like some some different rules? Because I think it's just like as much as I love succession and I love a lot of the other shows that are on high on the nominations list and have multiple nominations and single categories i just think it comes off as a bit weird that you know all these people and i think that maybe there it actually maybe it's a hot take but i think that maybe there should be some rules around that um but yeah succession i mean the big winners are what succession ted lasso white lotus hacks and only murders in the building probably like, those are probably the biggest winners of it mm -hmm. um you know i have seen all of those shows at least i yeah i guess i've seen all of the seasons that are nominated for those shows, except for hack season two which i just started the other night um, and that like, I don't like only murders in the building. I think that show is like massively overrated. I know I'm in the minority on that. I, I like people talking about Selena Gomez, not getting nominated, being a snub. I think she's really bad in the show personally, um, which I know I'm in the minority on. I know that I'm in the minority on that. Um, I think that she's, she's not very good in the show, but, um, people were really mad. They thought that was like one of the major snubs. I mean, you and I, Scott, in the limited series section, I mean, you and I both think the station 11 getting snubbed is pretty, is a pretty tough beat. Um, that one was a tough one to see for sure. I think that... hard to justify like, yeah, from, I know that HBO probably didn't, um, di didn't push it as hard. However, it got a lot of nominations. It just like, for some reason comes up short when we get to the actual limited series and it falls short of like inventing Anna and Pam and Tommy. Well, so that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I do still want to watch both of those, but those got very mixed reviews. Um, it just feels like. The, them getting nominated probably feels more about like the prestige and the money that was put behind them than it does like the actual quality of the show. Well, I was going to actually say something a little bit a little bit different from you about this is that the of the five series. Well, first off, there's only five shows nominated for best limited series, and then the TV show category there's like eight or nine nominations um, in, the, yeah, in the best show, which is one part true. of it. The second part, um, and this is a little different, what you're saying is that I actually think it's less about the prestige because I actually don't think Inventing Anna and Pam and Tommy have very much prestige behind them as shows personally um maybe more so than station 11 but not like significantly enough to really warrant like hulu is not typically an awards out outlet like hbo is typically an awards out like it's weird that only one of the only the white lotus in the limit series category yeah, is the only nomination get in there either. that hbo got um in that category they usually own it um honestly usually hbo and netflix owns it and hulu got three nominations and so the last thing that i want to say about this is that i actually think it's less about the prestige of the show and more about this trend of like adapting real life people onto the screen. Like you talk about Pam and Tommy getting mixed reviews, hundred percent. And Vinci Anna was panned. It didn't get mixed reviews. It was panned by critics. 
And like I'm, I don't know what people say about Julia Garner or whatever. It's based on a true story. It's a real person who Emmy voters probably interacted with and probably elevates it in their mind. And I think there is this like very recognizable and identifiable trend right now. It's like kind of one of those things like it's kind of amazing that we crashed, didn't get nominated for Apple TV Plus, the one about. Um, and again, the staircase, like I, I'm just I'm saying it because I'm just watching it right now. But like you would you would have thought that that would have been one of HBO's like, you know, biggest things that they were pushing. Yeah, may, maybe. I think I think that when I'm talking about so like that, I guess that's more like dope sick or something like that. Um, but I'm thinking like the dropout inventing Anna, Pam and Tommy, like all famous people being adapted. Mm -hmm. And the staircase is like, yes, it's a famous case, but it's not like a famous personality. Yeah, being, yeah, that's being that's analyzed. Funny, yeah. Whereas like Adam Newman and his wife and we crash, like there's this like really weird, like shitty celebrity adaptation trend that's happening. And I think that sort of overtook the limited series category this time. And, you know, Julia Garner is is a bit of an Emmy darling from her time on Ozark. Um, she's won, I think, one or two, maybe even two Emmys. Multiple for times, her, I think. Yeah, yeah for, for Ozark. And I think that the prestige of it sort of fitting this trend, being Julia Garner and being Netflix, you know, the fact that this got nominated over Made, I think that's pretty outrageous. I mean, I didn't see either of the shows, but Made was like the Netflix's prestige play um, and sort of like the holiday last year in terms of limited series. And it's pretty, pretty crazy that a show like Inventing Anna, which, you know, I haven't seen it. Critics panned it. I said the people that I know that have seen it say it's not good. It's not a good show. Um, but I will it's, say that it's pretty wild. Yeah, I will say that the actress in a limited series is like true heavyweight, like it's like a heavyweight lineup there. You have Tony Collette in The Staircase. You have Julia Garner inventing Anna. You have Lily James and Pam and Tommy. You have Margaret Qualley in Maid. You have Amanda Seyfried. In I see that you, you skipped over Sarah Paulson, who is probably the most perennial Emmy nominee. Yeah, I was going to come back to that at the end. But yeah. yeah, she gets in there for the Ryan Murphy thing. But um, which is just, but, I yeah. mean, that's just like total like Emmy, Emmy perennial getting nominated because I think specifically her performance in Impeachment was like, lampooned because she's like wearing a fat suit like it's yeah. like not a good I, performance i can't take anything ryan murphy did, does seriously like I, I mean he had one one good thing with uh with the people versus oj simpson but like you know it doesn't justify the seemingly unlimited reigns that he's yeah. been given to make whatever he wants um in yeah whether it's film or tv but yeah anyway that lineup is really good and then also you know the actor in a limited series with Colin Firth in the staircase, Andrew sure. Garfield. I was happy to see he got nominated for Under the Banner of Heaven. I didn't love the show totally, but I thought his performance was, you know, probably the best part. Oscar Isaac, Scenes of a Marriage, Michael Keaton getting in there for Dope Sick. Himesh Patel, like, does get nominated for Station Eleven. And Sebastian Stan and Pam and Tommy. But yeah, you know, the for me, like, I, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of these shows, so it's like my perspective is very limited, but I don't understand how you don't put Station Eleven in there. It's, you know, one of my favorite things that I've watched in the last decade, um, let alone last year, um, especially when you are acknowledging it in so many other categories. You acknowledge it an actor, right? Director, screenplay, it gets, you know, nominated. Yeah, I um, mean, director is not really that big of a category, though, to be fair. Like, it's not that big of a category at the Emmys. Yeah. Um, not that it's not important, but I just don't think there's much. There's not like best director at the Oscars obviously is one of the biggest categories of the whole night, if not, you know, the second biggest category of the whole night. But I just think that directing is because it's episode specific and there's lots of directors typically on a whole show. It's like a very muddled category and it's often not given much emphasis. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it does get recognized in actor. Himesh Patel. Yeah, and I, I was disappointed as far as like some of the ensembles not getting recognized. Like again, in Station Eleven, I felt like you know that Matilda Lawler or um, why am I forgetting? There's somebody else who I thought was was worthy. And maybe it was just her. But I think her and Himesh Patel were like the two strongest performances. Um, I, I did hear some someone's take being that I that they think that nobody in the television academy watched Station Eleven because or they just watched the first episode, saw that Jaime yeah. Patel was the head of that episode, and, and then presumably voted for him in lead because he's not he's really like a lead in the show. Three or four episodes. I yeah, mean, nobody's like, a lead in the show, right? Like nobody is because basically most characters are, are at most in five mm-hmm. episodes in the show. I guess but he's like technically Matilda, in six episodes, but like yeah, like Matilda Lawler is like maybe in every episode. Like she might be the one person who's in like every. Ep- well, actually, no, no, she's, she's only she's not, only in the in the flash. She's episodes. not in the one that um daniel deadwell that's about daniel deadweller's character but anyway um neither yeah anyway i i wish that she could have been in there because i thought that was you know one of the best child performances i've seen and then the staircase you know colin firth and tony collette get nominated which i have to agree with but like michael stuhlbarg gets nominated for dope sick but not for uh this the staircase which was funny but i thought he was great i thought like supporting actress wise, I thought Olivia Young and um, Odessa Young also could have been nominated. Instead, they nominated five people from the White Lotus, which, like, I get it. Like, I liked the White Lotus. I really did. I think I, I actually don't get it, Scott. I really don't get it. Yeah, which character was Natasha Rothwell? Like, I'm sorry, was that Sydney Sweeney's friend? No, I think wasn't that the the masseuse? Isn't that no, uh? Oh, oh, okay, yeah. The one that Jennifer Coolidge is getting the, the massages from. You might be right. Yeah, but I mean, Connie Yeah, Belinda. Britton, Her name's Belinda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge, Alexander Daddario, Natasha Rothwell, and Sydney Sweeney all getting nominated in Supporting Actors in a Limited TV Series or Movie. Guys, like, I'm sorry. That's a joke. There's no there's no reason for these people to be all be nominated. The one person out of there that probably deserved it was Jennifer Coolidge. Like, because I think hers was, like, you know, one of the most attention grabbing performances in the whole thing like hers is the one that i could say yeah but like these other people sure why like, is connie Con- britain getting nominated? connie britain like i love connie britain as an actress like she's in one of my favorite tv shows of all time but like no like i'm sorry she she does not deserve to be in there sydney swinney like she you know well i have to say she might have actually deserved this one more than the euphoria one like i think the euphoria one like you know, certainly her character was fascinating to watch, but like her performance was very over the top at times. I thought during the season, I still think she's a good actress, but um, you know, she, I'm not sure that the double nomination was warranted, I guess is what I'm saying, but um, she wasn't the only double yeah. nominee though. Yeah, that, that is true. Um, but Scott, otherwise, you know, I haven't really watched that many shows. Um, you know, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is my favorite show did get nominated as it normally does, you know, and, you know, Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, Tony Shalhoub all get nominated again. They've all won before. Um, so I have no problems there. I thought this season in particular, Tony Shalhoub, like, um, was maybe his best season yet of the show. So, um, again, he's already won, but I'd love to see him win again for that. Then, of course, I, I do, do think it's a lot. Play. It's a lot stronger of a category than it used to be. I think with something like Hacks, especially yeah. and, and Ted Lasso. I think it's going to be a lot harder. I mean, I, I guess technically only murders too. I'll just, I just reject that idea that it's been nominated like 15 times or whatever. Um, I think it, it Maisel, I think was just so clearly probably one of the better, if not best comedies out there. 
Um, but I think the fact that these shows have really come on in force, I think it really challenges it. That doesn't mean that I think, you know, one, I mean, someone like Tony Schlub probably still could, could pull off a win. Is he because he's best supporting actor in a comedy series? Is that what he's nominated for? I think he won last, last time, actually. Well, I mean, yeah, but Ted Lasso ago. didn't have that is three. True, yeah. And it yeah. Yeah, I mean Ted Lasso uh, would be the the people who probably win in that. Case. I mean, I guess Henry Winkler could maybe win for Barry, but um, Brett Goldstein you'd probably think would be the one who is in line. But ah, uh, you think so? That's a, that's. I not, mean, did he win yeah. it last year? I think he did win it last year. He won it last year. We watched it at your place in New York, I believe. I think it was okay. the Emmys. I think we did. Anyway, um, right on. Very and memorable. Euphoria. You know, Euphoria. I watched. I like Euphoria. I have a hard time believing that it belongs really in the same league as like some of these shows that got nominated for um, for drama series, you know, like Better Call Saul or um, Succession, obviously, or Ozark, you know, these like big, heavy, serious things like Euphoria. Game. Is camp. I think I think Squid Euphor- Game is also you're leaving. Out yeah, Squid yeah, game. yeah. yeah. Euphoria is camp to me. Like I, I enjoy it, but I don't take it seriously. Um, and it just does feel a little weird to see it, you know. Put it's it's so funny, Scott, because I think everyone who makes that show takes it so seriously. I know, I know. Um, and I think all of the zennials, the Zoomers watching it, take it very seriously, probably. But I feel like people in our in our little niche of Twitter just just having having a ball with it. Zendaya getting nominated is fine, but like I just know that they probably showed them the episode where she has like the crazy drug freak out. Um, yeah, and like I don't know what that, is it? That stand perform- stand still like the hummingbird. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, that's just not the performance that like the type of performance that really like resonates with me. Um, I mean that that is like the ultimate craft episode though. Like the fact that some so much of that was shot as a one shot. Like yeah, there's some great craft in that episode, but I do agree about the performance. But yeah, I don't know about Sydney Sweeney getting nominated again. Like, uh, there was a lot of emphasis, emphasis on her character this season. But like, yeah, I don't know if she she belonged in there. Um, Coleman Domingo got nominated though. Coleman Domingo did get nominated. Never sorry to see that. Yellow Jackets is a show that I've still not finished yet. I just I don't know. I, I liked it, but it just was was not really in the mood to to go back. I think I have a few episodes left. Um, but it got, you know, a few nominations. Like I know Christina Ricci got nominated as well and Melanie yep. Linsky. Um, so we got to talk about Severance, Scott. Show that yeah, I, just I know you're a watched. fan of that. Well, yeah, it's top of mind right now because I did just watch it. I mean, granted, it only came out a few months ago, but I did just recently watch it. Great show. I don't I don't think it's probably going to take any awards, to be honest, just because I think it's really hard to beat out a juggernaut like succession and then sort of like the upstart that is squid game. I think it's going to be really hard for anyone to win awards over those shows, to be honest. But yeah, severance is really good. Um, Adam Scott is, is really good in it. And I think one thing, this person didn't get nominated. I don't think I'd call it a snub, but somebody who really took me by surprise in this, cause I don't know if he's ever even done anything before, but his name's Trammell Tillman who plays like Adam Scott's like sort of like boss or like liaison with like the company in the show. Yeah. I'm just looking at his page. He hasn't done too much before. He is very good as a, uh, as someone named Seth Milchik. Um, he's really good in that role, but the whole cast is really strong. Really like the show. The mystery is really interesting to me. It has that sort of like narrative hook um, that I really like 
in film and TV where it sort of introduces you and lays out the like the mist like the sort of central mystery in the first episode and then sort of like just peels back different layers of the onion. I think arrivals like sort of like the ultimate masterclass of that type of storytelling in terms of film form in my mind. And I think this is doing something similar. I haven't seen Westworld, but people say that it's very it's like of similar quality to the first season of Westworld before it sort of like went went off the went off the rails a little bit. I was gonna say hopefully not the recent seasons of Westworld because yeah. I know people hate those. But um yeah, that's a show that it's it's probably next to my list after I finish uh, the staircase. I do really want to watch it. Um, Has a banger after, of a of a theme too, a theme song. After hearing your praise, I, I do think it's something that I'd probably enjoy. So I will probably hopefully get to that one before the Emmys actually happen. But I mean, you got time. Uh, the Emmys aren't until September, so yeah. So yeah, I think it was when we were when I was there last year because I did just had, look. Brett Goldstein did win the Emmy last year. Yeah, yeah. we. Uh, we went we went to the baseball game which was like right at the end of the season so september would have made sense but oh yeah then we we got dinner we came back and we were just like oh what's on we're like oh this is on okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay and it was like covid you know they were like all sitting oh god that's right each other or whatever yeah oh blessed it was weird um that's right i forgot about and, that incredible yeah that was the world we lived in i guess it's still the world we live in but emmys coming up in september on there Peacock. On Peacock. Support the cock. Um, right on. Scott, anything, uh, any other parting thoughts besides support Peacock before we uh, sign Christ. off? <laughs> uh, Pachinko. We didn't talk about Pachinko. Koganata Hive, rise up. Watch Pachinko after you watch Severance. Also on the list. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to survey the list to determine where exactly it falls on there. But um, yeah. It, it is on the list. Obviously, all you have to all you have to ask yourself is, Coconata. do you actually care about Coconata or not? The answer is yes. yeah. I guess I'm a fake fan on. if I don't. I guess I'm a fake fan if I don't watch it. But um, like all I'm saying is that in my eyes, you're not as big a fan as I thought you were if you don't watch it. Harsh but fair. Harsh but fair. Yeah. All right, Scott. Where can our yeah. listeners find you on social media? At S Shelton two zero one three. And I am at Scarby Dent on all platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. We have a bunch of tiers over there. But even if you can't support us over there, uh, we hope you will rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And, of course, we hope that you'll be back for our next episode of the podcast on which we will be reviewing the much-anticipated third feature from Oscar winner Jordan Peele. Nope. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.